Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Chris Tate. Chris is the lead singer and co-founder of Chalk Circle, and if you're a fan of the 80s, you are a fan of Chalk Circle, the alternative techno-pop rock band formed in 1982 in Newcastle, just east of Toronto. The band originally consisted of my guest today, lead singer and guitarist Chris Tate, bassist Brad Hopkins, drummer Derek Murphy, and keyboardist Tad Winklars. Only one change to your lineup card since then, with Jason Snyderman coming on to play keyboards since 2011. Solid national radio and video airplay in the mid-80s led to huge success for Chalk Circle, featuring songs including April Fool, This morning, myself and I. And the T-Rex classic 20th Century Boy. Although the band disbanded in 1990, the 2006 release of a Best of Chalk Circle album inspired them to play a reunion show to a sold-out crowd at Lee's Palace, and ever since they have popped up now and again to resume playing together. We will find out exactly what is up with Chalk Circle today, directly from Mr. Tate. Welcome Chris to Toronto Legends, thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? I am here at home in my basement studio, and uh, I'm, I'm great. Thanks for asking, Andrew. Excellent. Well, if I can go sideways for a moment, this being the Toronto Legends podcast, I would like to recognize the 2022 Great Cup champion Toronto Argonauts after a wild 24-23 victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Regina. What an extraordinary finish here at Mosaic Stadium. The dynasty is denied. And one of the oldest trophies in Canada's history will go to one of its oldest franchises. The Toronto Argonauts have won the 2022 breakup. A late interception, face mask penalty, not one, but two block field goal attempts. Bill's legendary quarterback, Jim Kelly's nephew, Chad, coming off the bench to lead what would be the game-winning drive. This game had it all. On behalf of the entire staff here at the podcast, we congratulate Argos coach Ryan Dinwiddie and general manager Pinball Clemens. Argos! Chris, Mm -hmm. are you a fan of the Argos? Any memories to share? I I mean, the Argos have been around so long. I mean, that's every, you know, every football season as a kid. That's that's all I remember. I mean, it was way, way, I mean, we played... We didn't play football when we were kids, except for touch football sort of after school and stuff, but it was all soccer and hockey. But um, yeah, but football was on television. Absolutely. Great cup every year. I think the young people today wouldn't even believe you and I when we say that I used to go to games at Exhibition Stadium 
And there were more people at those games than at Leaf games or, you know, the Raptors, of course, didn't exist. It was was the big game. Absolutely. Yeah. It was football and hockey. That was it. Yeah. No TFC, no Raptors, nothing else. Yeah. Let's start with current day Chris Tate and Chalk Circle. What is your status and what is the band's status? Oh, um, status. Um, Happy living life. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, grateful for family. Um, The band's status... Um, we're doing well. We were actually supposed to play three shows with The Box, really looking forward to it. This Our friends, the band The Box from uh, Montreal, and uh, had to cancel recently, um, unfortunately, but uh, we're looking forward to playing next year and hoping to get out quite a bit doing doing uh, a lot of live shows next year. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, we're going to go all the way back, get the Chris Tate story. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. Born in lovely Barrie, Ontario. Raised um, in Newcastle, Ontario, which is um, probably from about the age of two. My parents moved there. And uh, Newcastle's small town, about an hour east of Toronto. I mean, you know, play road hockey every night until the lights come on. Bike, Get on your bike and leave on summer breaks uh, and ride down to Waltona Park and go swimming all day. I mean, it was pretty idyllic, you know, lots of friends. Do you have siblings, and what did your parents do? Uh, yeah, two brothers. Uh, I still have two brothers. And uh, mom was a nurse. Dad worked in primarily in the trucking business. He was he drove truck for quite a while, and he was a dispatcher um, for a trucking company. Um, it was probably his longest gig, yeah. And you got into music how? And I guess it was 1982 the start? Why don't you tell us? So... Me, where we grew up, you, you, there wasn't a lot of in, musical influence other than we had sort of access to rock radio. Um, but in my house, I was the oldest, so I didn't have an older brother or sister to sort of, uh, you know, teach me about rock music. And in my house, it was my parents listening to my dad loved sort of big band music like Glenn Miller and stuff like that. And, and they listened to either CFRB or which I think at the time was sort of like oldies radio. So I didn't really apart from that, and, and, you know, the Bay City Rollers on TV. (laughs) Yeah, uh, that was sort of it. And then in grade six, um, I had a grade six homeroom teacher who um, had this music elective after school and a few kids would come after school and he would play records and we had our own little um big not little but big huge headphones with a curly cord and we would listen to he was indoctrinating us he was playing us Russian Led Zeppelin and Procol Harum and all of this prog rock music um which was like mind-blowing and just opened my eyes and I was hooked um uh, when you know I was hooked, so that year I asked my parents for a guitar for my birthday, and they got me an acoustic guitar, crappy acoustic guitar, which I deserved because I couldn't play. <laughs> yeah, um, I quickly saved up money and got a crappy electric guitar, and yeah, and I've uh, been in my basement practicing guitar ever since. And yeah. uh, the first band you were in, is this correct? The Casualties. Yeah, so Chalk Circle were was a high school band, um, and we had different names. So the casualty, the, so the casualties was a one-off, a band that did a show. I think this is right. This is where maybe Brad should have done this interview because my I'm pretty bad at these details. But I believe this is correct. 
Um, the Casualties was the name of our band for a Christmas assembly. And I played drums. Brad, our bass player, played guitar. We had a different keyboard, a different, we didn't have a keyboard player. We had a, a different bass player. And our singer was Stani Veselinovich, who was our, my buddy who came over from uh, Germany. We sort of hit it off. We were best friends. He introduced me to a lot of new music coming out of the UK and stuff. Um, anyway, yeah, we played Come On Everybody by Eddie Cochran. We played God Save the Queen. We played something. I can't remember what else. But yeah, I think Brad was grounded by his parents when they found out that we played God Save the Queen at the Christmas <laughs> Assembly. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's very alternative of you. <laughs> that was our, that was our very first gig, and it was you know it was a it was a riot. It was nuts. Yeah, New uh, Clark High School assembly went crazy, or or the, yeah, so Christmas assembly went nuts, and yeah. <laughs> and then you had a few iterations: the Reactors, New Edition, and you finally settled on the name Chalk Circle. Where'd you yeah. come up with this name? So this was Stani's. Uh, I mentioned Stani Veselinovich. This was his idea. Um, he introduced us to Bertolt Brecht, and um, we we stole the name from a Bertolt Brecht play, which was the Caucasian Chalk Circle. So we just uh, got rid of the white guy part, and yeah, and 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 ended up with Chalk Circle. Yeah. And what brought you, Chris, over to Toronto? Did you what what point did you move to Toronto? Well, in Newcastle, you could you know you could play. Uh, the odd um, outdoor sort of party. I'm, I'm not kidding. With the hay bales and on a on a trailer with a rented PA, um, that was kind of it, you know. Um, so the only way to play or perform for people was to move to Toronto. And by the time, you know, I I was in, I was two years younger than the other guys. So by the time I was in grade twelve, the other guys had graduated, and we were already playing. We were playing Toronto when I was in grade eleven, I think. Uh, we would play the the Beverly Tavern. We'd do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We'd drive to Toronto on Thursday, do soundtrack, do the show, pack up, drive home, go to school, drive to Toronto, play Friday, do the same thing Saturday. So, um, but we, the only reason we knew that we could do that is all of a sudden we were able to listen to the radio station CFNY, which um, was at the time, only playing like alternative music, which we were like eating up like, you know, crazy. Um, and and we were introduced to all of these local Toronto bands because they would play bands that had their own recordings, um, you know, that weren't signed to a label. So it gave us permission to write songs and record on our own and just go and play for people. And that's yeah. what we did. Yeah. And uh, this all, I guess, started off with you independently recording two demo singles on a cassette. <laughs> yes, a cassette. Oh, yeah. And you subsequently won the most promising unsigned band, Casby Award, in 1985. Talk about the process of uh, kind of jumping into uh, record independently uh, these demo singles. Well, we had done... I mean, we had done a lot of recording. Uh, the, you mentioned the, the the first iteration of Chalk Circle was a, just the three of us, Brad and Derek and myself. And we recorded a five-song EP, um, and that was the band The Reactors. We, we recorded a five-song EP at Quest Studios in Oshawa and peddled that for a couple of years. And then as the band developed and when Tad joined the band, we can continue to record. We I think the the cassette single you're talking about had a song called The World and a song called Black Pit on it. I think it's that one. 
Yeah, we just, you know, the, the, you just did it on your own then. There was no, you weren't really concerned about getting a record deal. You just wanted to record and sell cassettes off the stage, which is what we did. So, um, And on that note, you signed to Toronto indie label Duke Street Records, who yeah. released your, your debut, a six-song EP called The Great Lake. How'd you end up with Duke Street Records? So, like all other Toronto bands, we were playing clubs and, and doing quite well. And different A&R directors from labels would come out to shows because we had a bit of a buzz. And we would meet with them or they would, you know, they would come backstage after the show and talk to us. And all we would get is, um, oh, you guys are really, you guys are awesome. I think you're amazing. You just need some more songs. Or you guys are great. The songs are great. But you need to work on your live show. There was always a but. And I mean, we just recorded, we just always recorded um, on our own. And so we just went, well, we're not waiting around. So that EP was actually recorded independently with a bank loan, a bank loan, with a personal loan um, from a crazy man named Rob Sandolowich, um, who was Blue Peter's sound technician and he believed in us. Um, Blue Peter's guitar player, Chris Wardman, was producing the record. And Blue Peter's lighting technician, Chris Pegg, was our manager at the time. So we just went to Quest Studios, where we grew up in Oshawa, Ontario, and recorded that EP. And I think what happened is Duke Street heard it in progress and went, oh, wait a minute, this is really good, and, and gave us a, a, a shorthand sort of deal memo. And said, we want to sign you. We'll work out the details later. And so we went, oh, okay, great. And we finished, and we actually mixed the record at their studio, Mantis Studios, and that was it. It all sort of happened very quickly. And of course, after word got out that this record was around, I guess there was a bit of buzz, the phone started ringing from other, you know, bigger labels that said, hey, you know, do you guys want to talk? And we, we felt sort of a loyalty to Duke Street because they put their hand up first. So. Well, it's quite interesting what ha happened next, Chris, because at this time, the debut release, 1986, your debut single, April Fool, had yet to be released. You all piled into a van to head west. And I guess while you were in transit and on tour, as you mentioned, CFNY, big supporter, they played a major role in breaking April Fool. The track was being played everywhere. The video was being played on much music. And what happened from the time you piled into your van and drove and kind of... <laughs> By the time you got going, things changed dramatically, didn't they? Yeah, it was pretty surreal. Um, we, Yeah, we were in a, a baby band on an independent label in an extended four van with uh, the four of us, you know, our, our manager slash lighting designer and our, uh, our sound man slash driver, uh, Ike Zimbel, who is a lovely guy, very talented. Yeah, we got in the van and headed west, and we're, it was it was amazing. It was the best. It was our dream. You know, we wanted to play music and and tour, and and on the way out, we played to no one because who the hell are you? And um, you know, certainly we we were known in Toronto, but anywhere east or west of Toronto, no one knew who we were. Um, but what was happening was the video was taking off. I think on uh, much music. And the song was taking off at, at radio. And um, so by the time we sort of played a lot of the same clubs on the way back um, east from Vancouver. And by the time we came back, like two weeks later, the place was, the places were actually full. 
So it was crazy. We're like, oh, this is easy. You know? <laughs> we must have been so good. We just word spread and we were so amazing. No. Um, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, it was pretty awesome. Uh, very lucky. I don't, n- nobody expected it. Nobody at the label expected it. But um, yeah, very lucky. Well, what a dramatic change. It must have been so exciting for you guys. The lead single, April Fool, became a hit single in Canada, along with another single, Me, Myself, and I. The band produced videos for both tracks, as we just talked. It regularly featured on Much Music. This EP went on to become Duke Street's biggest seller uh, at that time. You were nominated for Most Promising New Group at the 1986 Juno Awards. Suddenly, you had major record companies pitching you. But you stayed with Duke Street. Was this contractual or out of loyalty or some kind of mix? Oh, it was contractual. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no, <laughs> no, there's, there's no, uh, <laughs> there's no loyalty in music. And yeah. No, uh, no, no. Yeah, it's very contractual. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, Chris, what do you remember <laughs> about being at the 1986 Juno Awards? Did, did you attend? And what do you remember about that whole time when you were up for this nomination as uh, most promising new group? Yeah, we did. Absolutely. Um, I'd like to say that it was an honor. In in retrospect, it was an absolute honor. Like I, But I didn't enjoy it, I don't think, at the time. I mean, we were young kids and we came out of this sort of punk rock, do-it-yourself. We're all friends with all, all the bands in Toronto who apparently we're competing with. So it just seemed like an absurd thing, these these award shows, which of course, I mean, even uh, CFNY had their own award show before the Junos called the Unos. And then I t- think it turned out it, it became the Casbys. Um, and we all f- felt, it all felt weird. Um, I wish I would, I'd enjoyed it more. Um, I think I was on guard and, and young and naive and, and a bit dumb. But, uh, but you know, in, in retrospect, I mean, to be nominated for a, a Juno Award means you must have done something well. You know? Absolutely. So good, so, yeah. And, and I hope you enjoyed it a little. Do you remember interacting yeah. with anyone back, back then, 1986, that kind of, uh, you look back on now, it's kind of interesting? Yeah, it was at, I'm trying to remember where it was. I mean, I, I'm sure it was fun and great and we had a good time you know it was just a bit uncomfortable but yeah it's sort of a strange thing you're there and there everyone you've ever read about or seen on television is just standing there you know every every canadian rock star so it was it was pretty uh pretty overwhelming i think yeah now you released subsequently two more albums on duke street the mending wall as the crow flies but is it accurate to say that in the end it was the contract that led to the band's demise? Well, um, yes and no. Um, like we signed a, a record deal, like every Canadian artist signed a record deal. They were, you know, very tough. If you had, even if you had a lot of, I mean, you hear, we've heard stories for years. I mean, you know, Neil Young was sued by his own record company at one point for not making commercial enough music. I mean, it's an absurd business. And the deals can be onerous. But the other thing that was happening is our label was falling apart. So um, that was more of a, a, a you know, a, a frustration. And it, it was, it, that was probably more of it. By the time, you know, we'd finished promoting um, the As the Crow Flies record, there was really just the label sort of president and, and his executive director or executive assistant. There were no staff left. Mm-hmm. And we had... We had contractually, I think we were obligated to deliver seven more records. I mean, it was crazy. So, you know, and the amount of energy and, and um, 
yeah, it was just, it's a lot of work and, and just sort of felt trapped, I think. So for me personally, you know, it, it became sort of, um, I just couldn't imagine making another record. It was just putting that much, you know, energy and, and heart and soul into it and, and literally making no money, like no money, you know, we made money playing live at the, you know, at that age, I, I, it wasn't even that big a deal because we didn't care as long as you could pay the rent. We were, we were successful, you know, we were really happy about it, but, but yeah, that was sort of the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me, I think. Well, the technical description was creative differences, chalk circle disbands. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in 1990. Yeah. Yeah. And Chris, you went on to form the indie band Big Faith. Um, yeah. How long did you kind of wait? Like, were you eager to get going again? Or did you want a little break from music? Or what was your mindset in 1990 when Chalk Circle disbanded? I didn't know what I wanted to do musically. I knew I didn't want to record for Duke Street. So if I, if that was my only option, then I, I would just do something else. Because to me, it was, it, there was no point. We'd all, we'd experienced what what it, what was happening when the label fell apart was falling apart, it, because for example on the As the Crow Flies record just to step backwards for a second, the last video and single um, happened because we because I went to our my bank and got a bank loan to make a video. That's the only reason that video happened. The label wouldn't promote us anymore, so we just went back to what we'd always done. We just did it ourselves. Um, but then when the dust settles, you're like, oh, we're stuck, you know? Anyway, so I wasn't sure, but Fergus Marsh, my dear friend Fergus Marsh and I had been writing songs just on the side and, um, had been hanging out and and doing stuff musically already for quite a few years. I, I met Ferg, I think before Chalk Circle had a deal, we met at the Rivoli years and years ago and we had written a few songs together. So we were just sort of hanging out and writing songs, and um, enough dust had settled that I just thought, well, we'll just make a record, and uh, or we'll just we'll just keep this going. So originally it was Ferg and and his brother Hugh, who I knew quite well because he was a label mate, and we'd played together and toured together with Chalk Circle, and um, Michael White, this amazing trumpet player, and Mike Slosky. Fergus and Mike were Bruce Coburn's rhythm rhythm section for a number of years. So, yeah. So that's how that sort of started, but pretty organically. And then something interesting happened when you fast forward to 2006, Universal Music Group bought out Duke Street's catalog and they released a Chalk Circle Greatest Hits album. Did you have any input in this, any involvement? Like, how, how does that work? Did they ask for your permission or this kind of, they go and do it? Well, they didn't buy it out. They, Universal was Duke Street's distributor. So they put together this, they had this 20th Century Masters series, I think they called it, and approached Duke Street or us to do it. I, th- I don't even, I know they approached us and we're like, wow, yeah, that would be great. So, um, and friends there, you know, they were very supportive um, of us um, musically. So it was a great opportunity. Um, we really hadn't talked or, or gotten together as individuals um, before that. And uh, since the band had split up, so it was a really beautiful thing to see everyone again and get together. And we decided to do a show at the uh, at um, Lee's Palace, um, which is the first time we'd played since since I left the band. And uh, and Chris Wardman came came in and and helped sort of remaster all the songs with Joe at Cavallo. And uh, 
yeah, it was a, it was a great great experience. Yeah. Well, and it was a sold out show at Lee's Palace, so it must have made you feel great to be with the boys again and get it going. Yeah, it was it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Five years later, in 2011, for the 40th anniversary of the Juno Awards, the band was prompted to do it again. Uh, this was an 80s celebration event at the Horseshoe Tavern, and you had Jason Snyderman come on to play keyboards. Uh, what do you remember about that show and kind of what prompted you five years after this initial Lee's Palace reunion to uh, play again? We were asked. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reason. That was kind of it. And, you know, it was a pretty... Uh, you know, we're quite honored to be asked to to participate in that. Um, and Blue Peter were playing as well. And Jason, Jason was always kind of a fifth Beatle. Like he was always in the <laughs> studio and a lot of involved in all of our recordings. So, because Jason was on stage and and he's like, "Hey, I'll play, I'll play keys with you guys," and I'm like, "Great." Um, so that that was another amazing thing about that is is um, Jason's. I mean. Yeah, he's he's incredible. A really talented guy and a beautiful human, and and um, so it just clicked perfectly. And yeah, I think we did three songs or something. It was it was a riot. It was great. And Jason is, <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, the son of Sam Snyderman, Sam the record man. Yes, the son of Sam, of course. <laughs> son of yes, Sam. Yes. Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, Jason ran Roblins, and yeah, he was very involved in the business for years. Yeah. Uh, since that performance, he had a few reunion appearances, but. Something significant happened in conjunction with none other than the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. How did this uh, have a resurgence again for Chalk Circle? The, he he put out a, I guess, uh, of course, the world had changed so much, and now we wanted to know everyone's Spotify playlist. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Prime Minister Trudeau published his summer right. Spotify playlist. Your yeah. hit, Me, Myself, and I, was introduced to new audiences. Uh, what was the uh, kind of uh, feedback from that? Suddenly the Prime Minister is in your uh, fan club. I think the feedback was like any sort of social media feedback. It was really intense for about 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, that that was it. Like that, there was, that was the yeah, spike. We didn't, yeah, we didn't have a party or anything. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then it's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to know you got Justin in your camp. Yeah. Now, Although brings... we, we can't travel west of uh, Winnipeg now, so. Okay, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. <laughs> Now, we talked a little about the status of Chalk Circle today. Are you creating new music? And uh, and if so, how do you mix your set list classics with new material? Or do you prefer to play the classics? You know what? We haven't, um, we haven't rec written or recorded anything new. Although, personally, for the first time in forever, I'm, I, you know, I would love to, to write some music and, and do some recording. I'm hoping that's something we can do in in you know for for 2023 it just hasn't been in the cards everyone you know we've we all have very busy lives and and um so playing the the really wonderful thing about playing shows with the band over the last few years is it is just so much fun and it's it's what it was like when we started that's why we did it it was just a, a riot to play and to perform and um and really satisfying musically um to play those songs again and and to know that you can play those songs again but yeah it would be great to to see what happens and, and try recording i don't know i don't know what we'll come up with if it's something that we think is really really great then we'll we'll do it but i you know i don't think we want to do anything 
that's not really great that we think we don't think is really great it's like you know it's been a long time for us i've always i've always written and recorded on my own and the other guys have been busy and jason has a really amazing um project that 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 he's been doing the last few years a solo project but yeah we'll see we'll see you know we have some shows booked maybe uh one of those shows will be debuting a couple of new songs so, well yeah. that would be great Hey Toronto, a West Coast IPA is a great idea when the days are getting shorter and the air a bit colder. Take in the aromas of brown sugar and savor the blend of pine, citrus, and earthy cereal in Henderson Brewing's Escape Art West Coast IPA. Available now at their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Or order now at hendersonbrewing.com. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. I wonder, Chris, if you're comfortable riding the 80s nostalgia wave, I guess, uh, are you open to touring under a banner of, you know, hits of the 80s as opposed to a chalk circle show? How do you how do you feel about that? Because um, you're so closely associated with a very specific period of, of, of Canadian music. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. I guess it really... I mean, for us, there are simple criteria to doing a show. Uh, will we lose money? No? Okay, good. Um, will it be fun? Yes. Is it sort of low pressure, you know? Is it is it going to be low stress and that, you know, not that it's it's not, you know, something that you work hard for, but I mean, just are my kids playing hockey that night? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's simple things. Um, so usually that's the criteria. And then it's, no, check, check, check. Okay, good. Let's play. That's our, let's do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, whether it's, an, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what that would look like, but um, yeah. Well, I when mean, I think we, of your, we would still be chalk circle, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, but I think yeah. when I think of your contemporaries, I think of the yeah. Box, Glass Tiger, Blue Peter, Martha and the Muffins, Platinum Blonde, Honeymoon mm -hmm. Suite. You know, to me as a fan of that period and growing up in that period, mm -hmm. I'd love to see a dream concert with with all of you. Is how closely do you uh, did you work with your contemporaries? Do you keep in touch with any of them, or kind of were you in your own silo when you were busy? Our contemporaries would have been. I guess bands of similar genres or whatever that means. Um, but it's funny. We always, like all of the friends I grew up with musically, like Andrew Cash at the time and even the guys in Breeding Ground and all of the local bands were still our friends, the friends we hung out with, you know, like I'm trying to think apart from, I mean, Blue Peter were just our friends. We used to play with them all the time back before we were signed. We used to open up for them. So um, you know, we would hang out with them, with some of the guys in Blue Peter, Jason and Chris, I guess, primarily. And, um, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, I remember traveling out west at one point and, and uh, meeting Brian Potvin, who was in the Northern Pikes, and I think they were just about to release their first record. And we sort of connected with Brian, and we were kind of pretty chummy for a while. But it was a different time, you know, if, if you wanted to connect with someone uh, you know, from from Saskatoon, it was pretty difficult. <laughs> yeah, time zone and a phone. You, there's no internet, so yeah. yeah, yeah. There wasn't a lot of Facebook back then. No, yeah. <laughs> but Chris, I wonder for you. You know, '80s weekends are a staple of Boom ninety-seven point three and other stations. Mm -hmm. uh, it must be kind of gratifying for you. You're driving around in your car, and uh, I, I can guarantee you, you're going to hear a Chalk Circle song. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of nostalgia on radio today. Um, you know, it's like 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, 2000s is nostalgic now. Um, 
Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be in, included on any <laughs> any playlist <laughs> anywhere, right? Um, so yeah, t- um, the opposite is not nearly as enjoyable. Nope. You know, silence is not golden. It You're is making not. music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have yeah. to ask you for some good stories, Chris. You've toured with some very interesting bands. Uh, you toured with Rush. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was uh, absolute joy. Yeah, really. Um, beautiful people, pros, classy, everything. Yeah. Um, let's see. What can I think of? Uh, oh, I have a great Rush story. Please. A seasoned rock band with really modern equipment and, you know, the latest and greatest in technology. And opening for them is Chalk Circle, who were the opposite of that. And one night, um, I think Getty said, he saw us play and he said, hey, you guys, we have all these extra wireless rigs. Do you guys want to go wireless? You know, you're kind of stuck at the front of the stage with your little guitar cable stuck to your little Fender Deluxe amp. Like, you can go wireless. And um, we're like, really? He's like, yeah. I think at one point he even restrung one of his basses back upside down so that Brad could try his bass because Brad's left-handed. Huh. There was incredibly generous um, to to work with. So we strapped on our wireless gear, never been wireless before, and we ran around like freaking idiots. And it was the worst show oh. on the entire tour. I kept being, I was so far away from the microphone half the time, I wasn't, I, I would be late to, I would miss choruses and I would miss verses because I just went, we went crazy. It was ridiculous. So we gave them back immediately after that and went back to our plugs. Yeah. Too much freedom. Too much freedom. Yeah. Too much too soon. Yeah. Yeah. How about Crowded House, Chris? What do you remember about touring with them? Again, I think we were just incredibly fortunate. Another really wonderful group of people, really down to earth, nicest guys you'd ever want to, you know, chat to or sit down or meet. And the same thing, we were just treated really, really, really well. And we got on like a house on fire. Um, they'd been on the road for a long time. So they had to go, I think this was their second or third time out on that album because... It took a while before it clicked, but when it clicked, it really clicked for them. So they um, they were away, and at this point, you know, Neil had a young family, so they they had their families and girlfriends with them, um, except for Nick. Nick was flying solo, so Nick basically hung out with us the whole tour because <laughs> he needed some fun. So yeah, we had a we had a great time. We had an absolute riot with them. Yeah, and culminated with we knew we'd heard stories about them, you know doing something to the opening act on the last show. Um, Uh-oh. So we got a heads up, and when they when they came out, because we kind of knew it was the last show, and we assumed they were going to get us, we had, which was incredibly stupid and dangerous, but we had, <laughs> we had water guns hidden under our towels. So when they ran out during our set, we dropped our guitars, grabbed the water guns, and, and had at it. Um, which is kind of stupid considering we're all plugged in. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we can think of. But yeah, but again, just, you know, absolute sweethearts and, and really beautiful people. And really, we were treated so well. I mean, we were very lucky. The Russian Crowded House were the two big tours we did. We did another tour with um, Tears for Fears, did about uh, six or eight shows with them, which was great too. So we we're very lucky. Yeah. And what, what do you, I did want to ask you about Tears for Fears. How did you enjoy that experience? It was great. It was a little weird that the two principals in Tears for Fears, I think at the time, were not 
getting along or I think it was, yeah. So it was a little strange. Um, we never met them, but the the rest of the band, like they, they were just, they would sort of show up for sound check from different sides of the stage and then they would leave. And so we, we never met them. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm sure they're great guys. I'm a huge fan. The my favorite album, I think, of this year, one of my top top ten, absolutely, is the latest Tears for Fears record. Yeah, it's absolutely. I think it's the best thing they've ever done. It's incredible. Their vocals are, in, vocal performances are great, and the songs are fantastic. Anyway, but the band were were beautiful. You know, they're musicians. They're great guys. Yeah. And um, oh gosh, I can't think of the singer they had. This this singer and she played piano as well. Great American. I can't remember her, her name. Uh, she was a riot too. She was really really great. So yeah. I mean we're we're touring around, you know, playing music for people and they're clapping. I mean how how hard how bad could it be, right? Pretty a pretty good life. Yeah, it's pretty a awesome. Pretty good yeah. life. Yeah. Chris, who is Chalk Circle's biggest celebrity fan? Oh, I have no idea. Has <laughs> anyone come know. up to you? I guess you... I guess Justin Trudeau. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, he probably I don't know. qualifies. Yeah, uh, no, I I have no idea. No idea. Yeah. With uh, of course, with the internet and social media, your your music yeah. can go all around the globe. Is there any strange setting or geography or a weird airport where you did not expect this to happen and you got recognized? No, not really. I had a funny moment after we split up where I thought someone was recognizing me, but they they thought I was in Madonna's band. And when I told them I wasn't, they went, oh, and walked away um, in Montreal. Anyway, that's uh, that's here, neither here nor there. Um, no, I, I can't think of anything. Um, sort of, I, I wasn't, you know, wasn't out and about a lot. Um, a, a very, the, the, the most unique place we played, it's different, but, was uh, we played in East Berlin. We we were there for about ten days and played a, a music festival there. That was about the that was the most yeah. That if, if you had said you're going to be playing in, inside the Iron Curtain at some point, I, I would have uh, you know that was tantamount to saying you're going to be touring with Rush at some point. You know, so, <laughs> and you yeah. did them both. Yeah. How how'd you end up playing in uh, East Berlin? Um, our German record label Plana Records was basically a communist record label, um, socialist, let's say. Uh, Bruce Coburn was signed to them. They had a lot of very left-leaning um, artists. So they had connections to, it was a youth, the festival was was put on by the uh, official youth communist party in Eastern Germany at the time, um, sort of. But, but artists like Billy Bragg and Michelle Schacht and, you know, very left-leaning artists were, were invited. Um, and I guess we we sort of they, they sort of assumed we were very left leaning. Uh, our name as well, because Bertolt Brecht um, is you know just he's he's you know the the godfather of of theater and 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 his political um, you know his, the the uh, statements that his his plays were had made and stuff. I mean, we, we. I think the name also sort of helped. Like, oh my gosh, they named their, you know, their band <laughs> after our 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 you know our native son. So, yeah. So that's that's how we got there, and um, yeah, it was pretty pretty crazy. It was wild. Well, the timing's pretty amazing because if I'm not mistaken, you played festival shows 1989, and this was six months prior to the collapse of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, nobody saw that coming. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. Uh, yeah, it was 
pretty wild. That's kind uh, of your Forrest Gump moment. It was very, it was fascinating because it was in, incredibly um, locked down, you know, um, and and quite shocking um, to to be a part of. But I mean, not impossible to empathize with the people we met there because, of course, we could leave. And our passports, mm -hmm. as it turns out, we basically had diplomatic status. We could go wherever we wanted where, you know, they, they couldn't. We could leave if if one of us wanted to go back to West Berlin and and go partying one night and come back into East Berlin that night, we could, but they couldn't. It was it was quite surreal. I want to ask about your label mates at Duke Records, Nash the Slash, and his progressive rock band FM. Did you have any uh, interaction with them? No, I uh, never met them. Um, I know Nash. I thought Nash was signed to Ready Records, but FM was signed to Duke Street. Eh? Yeah. yeah. No. They were a little uh, older than us, like bands like, um, I remember hearing bands in high school like Rough Trade and FM, and they were all sort of five or 10 years older than us, I guess. They were pretty established when we were started trying to figure out how to play guitar. But Jane Sibbery, you know, got to work with her a little bit. Art Bergman, which was, uh, I remember seeing Art in Vancouver, uh, just before he was signed to Duke Street. And, and um, Neo A4 guys we knew quite well. Yeah, they were sort of more of our... Scott Merritt was another one. Yeah, the, great. The, that was one of the reasons we were really excited to sign with Duke Street at the time, is their their roster was just incredible. Like some some really fantastic music musicians and, and artists, yeah. One of the questions I got, Chris, when listeners heard you'd be coming on is they did want to ask about your original keyboardist yeah. Tad Winklers and uh, what's his status if you know and uh, before being uh, kind of replaced Jason Snyderman came in since yeah do you know what I don't know um, I don't know how Tad is I haven't talked to him um, since 2006 um, we did the sh that show at least and it was a great show and I think Tad wanted the show to be he wanted the band to get back together. And he's like, this is great. We're back. We're going to make records. And of course, I was a, I was a full-time, I had my own company, I, you know, and I had family and everyone, the other guys had family and, and we're working. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to quit my job to start a band. And like, like, you know, so I think he was quite, I think, you know, th that for him was like, he, he really felt that going around and playing shows without creating something new and doing something, he wasn't interested in it. And mm -hmm. I completely respect that, you know, I completely respect that. So for us, it's been, you know, it hasn't been about creating new music like we were talking earlier. It's been about, you know, rediscovering ourselves as, as a band and, and performing and and playing the the music that we recorded years ago um that hopefully that will like i said we'll we'll have some newer music um soon or you know and maybe record depending on whether or not it sucks <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> but, it uh, will not but yeah i i hope he's doing well but um yeah i haven't unfortunately talked to him so i got two, two i guess these are two different questions chris but how is social media and music streaming affected chalk circles music today well, it hasn't really. Um, uh, I mean, music streaming is what it is. You, you, you know, lots of people can hear your music wherever they are in the world. And I'm, 
I, I'm not aware. I'm sure there are pl- places in the world that, that have heard our music that didn't before, because back in the day, if you, you know, we never had a release, a, an album released in the States, for example. We've never been released in the States, but mm. now someone from the US can listen to our music if they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't change anything. Like, you can't make any money selling records, which is what streaming is, it's sales. Um, but as an artist, you never could make money um, selling records unless you were in that 0.5% that, you know, had multi-platinum sales. Um, we we had, you know, two of our albums, even our third one, I think, through attrition at some point, we, we did the math, went gold in Canada, right? Which you'd think would mean, you know, something. But we never never made a penny on record sales. All of our money was made um, performing live, you know. And uh, more recently, we've we've made a bit of money licensing some of our music to mm. to television shows and stuff. So it hasn't really affected us. I mean, the only thing with social media for us is if we have a show, we can tell thousands of people about it immediately. Uh, we don't have to make posters and run around the city we're playing in and and put them up and try not to get stopped by seen by the and stopped by the cops so that's an advantage <laughs> certainly yeah, it is yeah yeah and chris what do you do today uh, do you have a outside job as they would call it um well i was up until recently a partner um at an audio production company music company called pirate toronto um i left i'm still working um freelance and still working in I love working, so I'm going to continue to do that. But I left Pirate in January, um, which has been great, and I'm still making music. I've been um, I have a label and publishing company that I've always had called Park Music, and I've been working with an artist uh, called Transstar, um, and we've been re- I've been mixing uh, Transstar's music and and releasing singles, and we're hoping to release um, her second EP in January. And um, yeah, still making music, still hoping to play, hoping, you know, last, we tried to play a bunch of shows as I was mentioning with the box, but unfortunately my back thought otherwise, but (laughs) I'm healthy again. So yeah. Yeah. And and do you want to give us an update on your uh, other bandmates, Brad and Derek? Uh, They're doing great. They're, you know, they're living and, and working and, and the same, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think you know at this point in our lives, we we want to be healthy and and happy, and we want our families to be healthy and our families to be happy, and we want to be surrounded by family and friends. And so, you know, I think we're all we're all blessed in that regard. So well, that's fantastic. That's what yeah. we all want. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Chris, you've been great with your time. As we wrap up, I do want to ask what's uh, what's going on. What's next? Do you actually have? rescheduled shows for Chalk Circle, or what do you see coming in 2023? We're doing a show in, uh, see if I can tell you exactly. I know we have we have a couple of shows on the books right now in, in uh, March. Yeah, we're playing a show in March, which is sort of an acoustic, intimate show. And then we're playing another show later on, which is, you were talking about this sort of 80s review. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's been announced yet. I think it's being announced the first week of December, but it's a three-day festival. This incredible human is promoting it and asked us to participate, and we're really, really happy that we're doing the show. I can't really tell you more than that. Hey, we, <laughs> and we, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. We will eagerly wait for this yeah. breaking news follow-up. Unless this is being broadcast after December. Yeah, It's going to be broadcast tomorrow. So, Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. But we'll, that, we'll keep and, it on the down low. Yeah. And then hopefully um, we, we would love to, to play a lot next year. I mean, we're... We're less, you know, we're sort of a laissez-faire rock band. Like none of us are, we don't have a manager. We don't have like an agent. We just sort of like, you know, ask around, hey, do you need 45-minute opening set or somewhere, you know? So um, we're hoping to play, we're hoping to be a bit more ambitious next year and do do more shows. So, yeah. Well, that's a great description. A laissez-faire yeah. rock band. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Chris, as we wrap up, where can we best follow you and Chalk Circle? Uh, best place to follow Chalk Circle, I guess, is on Instagram or uh, on Instagram and probably Facebook. Um, we also have chalkcircle.ca, which may be a bit more active because um, we're hoping to update that. It's, 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 you know, usually if you get to chalkcircle.ca, probably click on the Facebook link if you want actually infor actual information that's, um, you know, more recent than 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah. we look forward to hearing more, and it sounds like we're going to get to hear you again play Chalk Circle in 2023. So uh, I wish you continued success, Chris. Uh, thanks very much, Andrew, and uh, congratulations on the podcast. It's pretty, it's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Take care. And to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Chris Tate, I am Andrew Applebaum, saying mahalo. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.